Well, good evening, church. Uh, tonight we're going to be continuing through our series in the Baptist Catechism. So if you have your uh, white catechism that we have outside, uh, turn to page five, or you can look to the screen behind me as we are going to address question four. Now, what we're going to talk about tonight was covered in a good portion of uh, Dave's sermon last week, and that's okay. It's not always about learning new things, uh, but being reminded of truths that we often forget and we often neglect. And when you have overlapping topics like this, pay attention, because coincidences don't exist, and it's more than likely the providence of God at work. Now, question four is a very, very important question. It's so important because it addresses one of life's biggest existential questions. I would say that almost every individual that's ever lived in any period of time, on every continent, at some point in their life and in some way, have asked themselves, why am I here? And what am I supposed to do with this life? What is my purpose? And this age-old question has plagued man for centuries. And I think that tells us something about the human condition. But many men have attempted to give an answer to this age-old question. Greek philosophers like Aristotle and the Athenians answer this question by saying something like, the pursuit of knowledge or to amass wisdom to live a life in pursuit of virtue, or to, to live up to one's potential and strive up the ladder of perfection in all that they do. Or, or consider the modern age of self-help books, uh, many that have tried to give answers, and all they give us are a plethora of platitudes. They answer this by saying, do whatever makes you happy, to chase your dreams. Here's a favorite of mine, to be your most authentic self whatever that even means, to create your own meaning and purpose, to live in a way that people will remember you when you're gone, or the classic live, love, laugh that is on every t-shirt and small town boutiques across the nation. But I think you see my point. It's an age-old question that has plagued man for centuries, and many have attempted to give an answer. But to be honest, some of their answers you will find they're not entirely wrong. Depending upon the context in which they're used, uh, some of the answers may have elements of truth to them, and that can be extracted out and be used to arrive to a true answer. Um, and when I'm referring to that, I'm not talking about the list of platitudes, but more so uh, the closeness of what some of the philosophers have said. But some of those answers we can find elements of truth to, but as a standalone answer, they're still false. Now, I say all of that to highlight the fact that this monumental question of meaning and purpose that nearly all of us have asked ourselves at some point in life has no true answer from those who society considers to be the wisest of men. But our question tonight will give us the answer to that question. So let's consider together what the true answer is to this deep and festering question. Read with me. The Baptist Catechism, question four. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, um, we come to you now and we ask that you would speak through your word tonight. I ask that you would remind us of who we are, of why we exist. Lord, we know that so many people have struggled to find the answer to this question. They struggle with their purpose in life. 
but I ask that you would meet us here tonight and show us your purpose in creating us. Bless this time. May it be edifying to your people. And ultimately, we pray that you would be glorified this evening. Amen. All right. So this, ex this existential question that has plagued man, why am I here? What am I supposed to do with this life? What is my purpose? How do we answer it? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now, maybe some of you think that's a little anticlimactic, but not quite. We're going to unpack this answer under three main headings. Why we ought to glorify God. How do we glorify God? And how do we enjoy him forever? And as Christians, we must examine this answer to make sure that it's biblical. The last thing that we need uh, to, to answer such a monumental question is just another religious platitude. We must be good Bereans. Because existential questions like this are foundational. How we answer questions like this, like building a house, will determine the stability of the structures that you build upon it. And in our modern times, we cannot afford to have an unstable and a soft foundation because the winds of culture will bring it crashing down. If man's chief end is to glorify God, then it's implied that we ought to worship him. And this brings us to our first heading, why we ought to glorify God. Well, for starters, we ought to glorify God simply because of who he is. When we speak about who God is, we are talking about the attributes of God. We are talking about his attributes that he did not just acquire, but attributes that are identical to his very being. That is to say, his being is the attribute that we are speaking about. That his being defines this very attribute. And understanding this produces a weightiness and a reverence for when we talk about who God is. When we say that God is omniscient, he is he has knowledge that is exhaustive. He does not learn, for there's nothing for him to learn. He does not forget. He cannot forget. He is not surprised, for he knows how and when and where all things will happen. God is knowledge. Psalm 139 tells us this. O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high and I cannot attain it. God is eternal. He has no beginning and no end. He was not created. He's always existed, and time has no effect on him, for he is the author of time itself. Psalm 90, verse 2, tells us, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God is holy. The Hebrew word for holy means separate or set apart. He is sinless and divine. A sinless and divine being that is set apart from us in all of creation. And this amount of purity can only be found in him. Isaiah 6 tells us, Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. 
With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled, sorry, is full of his glory. And when Martin Luther wrote about the righteousness of Christ, he called it an alien righteousness. That is to say, a righteousness that is totally other than us. May I remind you of the first question we did, that God is the chiefest being. Surely such a being is worthy of glory and our worship. We ought to glorify God because he created us. Genesis 1 tells us the creation story. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Just as a piece of work is made in the image of an artist according to the purpose that he gave it, God's image is on the whole of humanity. We bear his image because we are his unique creation. God created us for the purpose of worship, and worship is an inescapable act that we will perform. Why do you think that idolatry is so easy to commit? It's so incredibly common because we were created for worship. Why does man worship money and status, material possessions, gender identities, equity, and sex? Because man was created for the purpose of worship, and it's, inesca it's an inescapable act that they will perform even if they refuse to worship God. Man will worship something every single time. We were created by God for the worship of God, and it is our duty and our obligation as his creation to fulfill that purpose. Just as the Apostle Paul rhetorically asks us in Romans 9, he says, does the potter not have the right over the clay? Does the potter have no right to mold and to shape clay into a vessel that he desires? Of course he does. All men are to glorify God, for we are not our own. We ought to glorify God because he chose to redeem us. Ephesians 1 it says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as, sorry, <laughs> for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Before the foundations of all of creation, for those who believe, God predestined us. He chose us to be recipients of salvation and to be adopted unto him. Not because there was anything valuable in us, but according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. You and I were once lost. We were once spiritually dead sinners, 
rotting corpses, you could call it, that lay lifeless with no desire and ability to seek God, yet he chose to save us. But why? Because it was his will to make known his grace to us so that we would glorify, praise, and worship him. It's all about him. Even if God chose to never save us, we ought to worship him simply for who he is and who we are as his creation. It's our duty. But how much more so can we glorify him because he has chosen to save us? 1 Corinthians 6 tells us, reminds us, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So what is your purpose? What is your chief end? It's to glorify God. And this brings us to our second heading. How do we glorify him? Now, how we glorify God is important. God takes our worship of him seriously, and likewise, we ought to take our worship of him seriously because we are not entirely free to decide for ourselves how we will worship him. So this must be said from the start. We glorify God on his terms, by the commandments he has given us in scripture, and by the representations he has provided us. Here's a story that, uh, that really shows light to this. In Leviticus 10, we have a textbook example to show us just how serious God takes our worship of him. The first tabernacle had been erected, and Aaron was busy performing sacrifices according to God's instructions. However, his two sons, Nadab and Abihu, offered incense with what scripture calls strange fire. Now, the Hebrew translated as strange means unauthorized, foreign, or profane. That is, they were burning incense with fire that... Uh, that was their own, that they made their own, rather than taking fire from the altar as specified in Leviticus 16, 12. And God not only rejected their sacrifice, but he found it so offensive and so profane that he consumed both of the men with fire. Leviticus 10, verse 2 through 3. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. And then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Nadab and Abihu attempted to glorify God in their own way. And God killed them for it. Because it was so profane, so irreverent, and a form of unauthorized worship. That should make us think. And it should make us think really hard about how we worship God. We must glorify God according to his terms, terms that are found in his word. Now, concerning the ways that we glorify God, I have three areas that I would like us to consider. First, how the church glorifies God. Second, how we glorify God in the church. And third, how we glorify God outside of the church in our own personal lives. Now, as I make my way through these, uh, due to time, I'm not going to be able to go into depth uh, on many of these points, but I do want you to consider how we glorify God in them. How the church glorifies God. We glorify God by meeting together on the Lord's Day, partaking in corporate worship, where we sing songs of worship, we partake in the sacraments, where we have fellowship, and we hear the word of God preached to us. 
All of these things are practiced in the New Testament church, and all of these things bring glory to God. Consider church polity, or how the church is governed. By the congregation who appoints and ordains elders and deacons, by requirements that are set in scripture for those offices. We find those in in 1 Timothy and Titus. Consider the practice of church discipline, meant to bring stubborn children of God unto repentance, or to designate them as apostates for the purity of Christ's bride, a practice that we find in Matthew 18. Consider how Steve fences the Lord's table, meaning he gives a warning to all who are living in unrepentant sin, to all who are ignorant of the meaning of the sacrament, to all the believing who have not yet received the sacrament of baptism, and for all the unbelieving to abstain from that table. Where those who are part of the church are separated from those who are not or should not partake because they would take the sacrament in an unworthy manner that is deserving of wrath. We find that in 1 Corinthians 11. Now, as you know, Christians can and will argue about some of these things. But for those who care deeply about glorifying God according to his terms, they're not just being bitter clingers of tradition that hate modern modern church culture. God killed Nadab and Abihu for offering strange fire, unauthorized fire, in their worship. And there is a serious stake in how the church ought to conduct itself in corporate worship. But to our next point, how we glorify God in the church. And these are very simple, but they're true. We glorify God in our service to the church. We glorify God in our teaching of Sunday school, our Bible studies, and even attending them. We glorify God in the cleaning of the bathrooms, of the kitchen, the classrooms, and this sanctuary. God is glorified in our renovation of this church building, even when many have felt burdened and overwhelmed by it. Nevertheless, those acts were done faithfully. They were done as acts of worship. God is glorified in the outdoor maintenance and lawn care. We show that we care about this building, and we do these things as an act of worship to God. We do it in the organizing of events and the preparation of food for fellowship of God's people. We do it in our giving of tithes and offerings so we can maintain this building and use it to further glorify God and buying teaching materials and giving pastors the salaries that they deserve, along with donating to worthy ministries and charities. And we do it in the offerings of prayers with with and for one another. All of these things are acts of worship. They bring glory to God. From the greater to the smaller, they glorify him. But our third point is where I think most people wrestle with, is, is where I think they wrestle with the most. How we glorify God outside of the church in our own personal lives. This seems to be the area that produces the greatest struggle. Maybe you see how we glorify God as the church and in the church, but you still struggle with what it is that you are to do personally to glorify God. To start off simply, consider the command of the Lord Jesus to evangelize the people around you. Mark 16, 15. And he, Jesus, said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Your efforts in evangelism glorify God. Or consider the commands of scripture as a husband or a wife. 
to be the spiritual leader and the head of your household, called to live with your wife in an understanding way, called to love your wife as Christ loves the church, or to respect your husband and to submit to your husband as the church submits to the leader, to the leader, I can't talk, I'm sorry, as your wife submits to the leadership um, to you, so the church submits in leadership to Christ. Those are easy things to say, but they're incredibly hard things to do. Yet your efforts to have a godly marriage glorify God. Consider your calling as parents to teach your children the precepts of God and to discipline them in love. Ephesians 6.4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Not only that, Deuteronomy 6 And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise. Teaching your children the precepts of God glorifies him. Consider how God is glorified by our spiritual growth, our growth and our knowledge of him, and the active work of trying to kill sin in our lives. Jesus said in John 15, 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Now this becomes exceedingly broad, but as I've talked about before, everyone that is sitting in this building has gifts and talents, abilities, that God has given us to be used for his glory. The Apostle Paul He tells us this in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but but it is in the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So look at your interests. Look at the hobbies that you have and the skill sets that you have. Can those not be used for the glory of God in some way? Well, of course they can. Do you think that God would just give you gifts and abilities, hobbies and interests and the personalities that you have by accident? That he has no purpose for his own glory in giving those things to you? That's nonsense. He's absolutely gave those qualities to you on purpose. Use them. Now, maybe you feel discouraged. Maybe you feel like you're trying to use those abilities and those talents, but you're not good at them. Or what you're doing just isn't successful, and you find yourself constantly discouraged. Maybe you're discouraged as a spouse, as a parent, as you teach your Sunday school class, maybe in your small groups, in your evangelism, or whatever it may be. Please hear me. What you do in faith with a heart that desires to love and obey God, even if you think it's an absolute train wreck, is glorifying to him. Just as a child in preschool makes their parents a macaroni necklace, are you not pleased to take it and wear it? The the macaroni necklace has no inherent value. It's a string with dried macaroni on it. It's not a gold necklace. It has no diamonds. There's no valuable jewelry. But you take the macaroni necklace and you put it on anyway. Why? 
because they made that necklace out of love for you. Something that has no real value, and in all reality is a crappy necklace, you now place value on and are pleased by it because they made it for you out of love and worked hard to make it for you. What you do in faith with a heart that desires to love and obey God, even if you think it's been a train wreck, is glorifying to him. If you're trying but you feel discouraged, take heart. God is pleased to take your macaroni necklace. Now on to our third and final heading. We've discussed why we ought to glorify God. Because of who he is. Because he created us for the purpose of glorifying him. And because he chose us for salvation. We discuss how we glorify God. By the commands and the representations in scripture. We talked about how the church glorifies him how we glorify him in the church, and how we glorify him outside of the church in our own personal lives. But there's one last part of our answer that we have not looked at yet, that we are to enjoy him forever. If Adam had not sinned and brought death upon the entirety of man, we would have enjoyed God forever. God told Adam, obey me and you shall live. Disobey me and you shall die. And because the wages of sin is death, Adam stripped mankind of their peace and life with God. But in grace and in love, God chose to send his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to redeem his chosen people so that we could glorify and enjoy our God in eternity once more. Nevertheless, we will in time enjoy him forever as we work to our purpose to glorify him in this life and here and now. We have a duty, and we have an obligation to glorify God, but as his people, we don't glorify him reluctantly. The posture of our heart should desire to glorify God because he is worthy and because we owe it to him. We glorify God with hearts of gratitude, knowing that we were bought with the blood of Christ, and we, that we should want to give God the glory and the honor and the worship that he so rightly deserves. We enjoy him now, but we wrestle with our flesh to enjoy him fully. But for those that believe on Christ by faith and have repented of their sins, we will enjoy him fully in eternity forever. Now, as we close, I want to remind you of where this all started. How do we answer that age-old question that has plagued man for centuries? Why am I here? What am I supposed to do with this life? What is my purpose? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. God's glory is our chief end because it is God's chief end in creating man. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for this church and for the people that are here tonight. Lord, I ask that these truths, that you created us for worship, allow that to penetrate our hearts. For any of us that wrestle with depression and, and we ask ourselves these existential questions where we feel alone and lost, Lord, come to our rescue. Show us that we do have purpose, that we can know that we have purpose. Lord, help us to fulfill that purpose. Work in your people 
allow us to glorify you. And we ask all things in your name. Amen.